This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year. We are beginning another year of Squirrel Chatter here on the ARN Network. Good to have you with us, coming to you live from the ARN Studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us January 1st, 2024. Presidential election year in the United States. Going to be a wild ride. Buckle up. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to avoid politics and whatnot today because it is New Year's and uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the mess that is our world um, in coming weeks. But uh, um, as you can tell, my my voice is mostly recovered. However, I uh, still have the cough. So I've got the cough button right here. I'm ready to punch that as needed today um, if I have a coughing fit which we will hope doesn't happen. Um, Also got coffee. I am drinking uh, uh, Montana Coffee Traders Trailblazer blend still because I opened a five-pound bag. And I'm drinking it from my brand-new Nova Galactic coffee mug that if you have played the new Bethesda game Starfield, you will understand. If you haven't... (laughs) You should check it out. It's actually a fun game, Um, one I've been enjoying a lot. So what do we got going on on Squirrel Chatter today as we start off a new year? Well, this is a podcast dedicated to Scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to or double your money back. All right. Scripture reading today. As we continue with our new reading plan that we started in um, the first week of Advent because Advent starts the church calendar. So we are today in uh, Genesis 14 and Psalm 14, as we continue to tick things off on our our little... Where's my pen? My pen is not where it's supposed to be. That means I picked up my pen and used it elsewhere, and it did not get returned to my desk. Yes, I have other pens, but that is my pen. I must find that today. All right. So we have our scripture reading today. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Monday, so we've got Monday meanderings, a a special New Year's Monday meandering where I'm going to try not to get into anything serious nor even mention the fact that Claudine Gay, president of Harvard, has yet to resign. But she will. Just wait. 
it's going to be a, a a long, long, uh, long season at Harvard. Apparently, you're having student groups beginning to protest her and all of that. But we'll talk about that next week. That's not for today. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Our scripture reading, as I said, Genesis 14 and Psalm 14. The book of Genesis, chapter 14. And it happened in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Chedorlomar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemabar, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these came as allies to the valley of Sidon, that is, the Salt Sea. Now for twelve years they had served Chedorlomer, but the thirteenth year they rebelled. So in the fourteenth year, it should be Chedorlomer, I apologize, the C-H in ancient Semitic is a K sound. In the fourteenth year, Ketelomer and the kings who were with him came and struck the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Carnaim, and the Zuzim in Ham, and the Emim in Sheva Kiriatham, and the Horites in their Mount Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to In Mishpat, that is Kadesh. And they struck all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who were living in Hezeron Tamar. And the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of 
Zeboiim, and the kings of Bela, that is Zor, came out, and they arranged themselves for battle against them in the battle of Siddim, against Ketelomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But those who remained behind fled to the hill country. Then they took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply and departed. They also took Lot, Aaron's nephew, and his possessions and departed. Now he was living in Sodom. Then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now he was dwelling by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol and brother of Aner, and these were in a covenant with Abram. So Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, and he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318 in number, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his men against them by night, he and his servants, and struck them, and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the possessions, and he also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, and also the women and the people. Then after he came back from striking down Ketelomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. Then he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Then he gave him a tenth of all, and the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Abram, excuse me, give the people to me, but take the possessions for yourself. Then Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to Yahweh God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread nor a sandal strap or anything that is yours, so that you would not say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their share. And now, Psalm 14. For the choir director of David. The wicked fool says in his heart there is no God. They act corruptly. They commit abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Yahweh looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who has insight, anyone who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Altogether they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all the workers of iniquity not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon Yahweh? There they are in great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but Yahweh is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when Yahweh restores his captive people. May Jacob rejoice. May Israel be glad. This is the word of the Lord. 
And now, our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Today's devotion is entitled, Proper Fasting and Prayer. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew six seventeen and 18. Jesus' statement, when you fast, indicates that fasting is normal and acceptable in the Christian life. He assumes his followers will fast on certain occasions, especially in times of testing, trial, or struggle. Fasting is appropriate during times of sorrow. On occasions of deep grief, fasting is a natural human response. Most people don't feel like eating at those times. Other things that motivate fasting have included overwhelming danger, penitence, and the receiving or proclaiming of a special revelation from God. And fasting often accompanied the beginning of an important task or ministry. In every scriptural account, genuine fasting is linked with prayer. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast biblically without praying. Fasting is an affirmation of intense prayer, a corollary of deep spiritual struggle before God. It is never an isolated act or ceremony or ritual that has some inherent efficacy or merit. Fasting is also always linked with a pure heart and must be associated with obedient, godly living. This is the attitude that will motivate the one fasting not to attract attention to his deprivation and spiritual struggle. Fasting is not to be a display for anyone, including God. Genuine fasting is simply a part of concentrated, intense prayer and concern for the Lord, His will, and His work. Jesus' point is that the Father never fails to notice fasting that is heartfelt and genuine, and He never fails to reward it. Ask yourself, has fasting ever been a part of your life and relationship with God? If so, what have those experiences taught you about Him? and about yourself and your need for him. If you've never actually participated in fasting, what might be some appropriate times and ways for you to practice it? All right. And now, Monday Meanderings. I said it was a New Year's Monday Meandering, but it's actually a 12 Days of Christmas Monday Meandering. Today is the eighth day of Christmas, so eight maids a milking is the song would say. So, what are the twelve days of Christmas? There's there's a lot of confusion, and and it goes back. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Um, Scott Annual made a post about the secular Christmas season versus the. Uh, Christian Christmas season. And in the secular world, the Christmas season ends on Christmas Day. And it's all a buildup of mercantilism. It's all a buy your Christmas presents, get everything ready for Christmas Day. And as soon as Christmas Day is over, the, the wrapping paper goes in the trash can and, and the, the tree comes down and the the season is over. You take the decorations down. Blah 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 blah. It's over. 
That's not the Christian calendar. The season leading up to Christmas is Advent, and it is a time of reflection and anticipation, reflecting upon what God has done for us and anticipating the coming of the Messiah, both his first and second coming. So Advent is a time of reflection, and it's a, it's a more somber time of reflection, sober in, in thought. The Christmas season begins Christmas Day. That is the first day of Christmas. We're now in the eighth day of Christmas. Christmas was one week ago today. So in addition to being New Year's Day, this is the eighth day of Christmas. Now remember, the, the church calendar doesn't start on January 1st. The church calendar starts in December with the first Sunday in Advent. So we are long past that. And so in the according to the church calendar, we are in the new year. Uh, now, the church calendar doesn't concern itself with, you know, years as much as it does the the observance of the the year of of christian remembrance and observance um and it long predates roman catholicism so don't think that keeping the church calendar is some papal tradition as it has been decried by many the church calendar long predates the rise of the primacy of the the bishop of Rome and all of the weird things that have come with that. Um, and yes, as a Protestant, I the, the being a Protestant doesn't simply mean I am not a Roman Catholic. Being a Protestant means that I know and understand and agree with the reasons for the Protestant Reformation. And I believe they are still valid today. And indeed, at the Council of Trent, the Roman Catholic Church, which is not Catholic because they don't hold to the gospel, they're not part of the church. The Church of Rome departed from the gospel at Trent, officially. Not saying that there had not been departures from the gospel prior to that. There certainly had been. So it led to the Reformation in the first place. But officially, as a body, they departed from the true gospel at Trent. And so since Trent, because Trent has not been repudiated, since Trent, we cannot recognize Rome as a true church because they have abandoned the gospel. But be that as it may, the church calendar long predates that. And there's nothing wrong with observing the church calendar. So don't get upset if someone talks about Lent or any of that, or Advent, or, or it just, just relax, all right? <laughs> that has nothing to do with the issues of the Reformation. So... So the 12 days of Christmas begin on Christmas Day and end on the Feast of the Epiphany, which commemorates the coming of the wise men 
to to visit Jesus, which we know wasn't 12 days later, it was probably a year later. But the point is that, you know, that, that, that Feast of the Epiphany marks the end of the 12 days of Christmas. So we are right in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas. Just a little past midpoint. Um, and so we are in the Christmas season. So keep celebrating Christmas. The the superstition that you cannot take the tree that the tree has to be down on New Year's. If, if your tree's still up, don't worry about it. It's still Christmas. It's Christmas until January sixth. So you've got today and five more days after this. Rejoice, celebrate, and that's why um, the the end of the twelve days of Christmas, the feast of the Epiphany, on the sixth. That makes um, the fifth of January Twelfth Night. So if you've you know you're familiar with Shakespeare, he had a had a play on Twelfth Night. That is the Twelfth uh, Night is the eve of the Feast of Epiphany. So January fifth is Twelfth Night. So relax, keep enjoying this Christmas season. There is no reason to stop enjoying the Christmas season and stop celebrating the birth of the Christ child until uh, Epiphany. Of course, it's something you should celebrate and acknowledge year-round, but this this special time of, of the season. So, But we can't talk about the 12 days of Christmas without talking about the song. On the first day of Christmas. We all know it, right? Um, it's an old, old song. The first written version we have comes from 1780. And it mentions collie birds, not calling birds. Collie was an old term that meant as black as coal. So a collie bird was a blackbird. So it's four collie birds. Um, in the earliest version we have, but that's the earliest version we have written down. The song was old even then. Um, it's considered most likely to have been French in origin and would have come to England in 1066 with the Norman Conquest. So this is a very old song, you know, thousand years or better. Now, there, there are different versions of the song, some of them mention ships a-sailing, bears a-baiting, etc. Um, so it wasn't always the, the, the same elements that we are used to. Um, the modern version that we have and the music that goes with it was, uh, is, is attributed to English composer Frederick Austin in 1909. So the, the, the version that we all know is just a little over 100 years old, but the song is much, much older. And it is most likely a memory and forfeits game song where you sing the song, and if you forget a verse, then you have to forfeit or, or give some sort of prize to your opponent. Um, most commonly, these are drinking songs. <laughs> um, 
you, you forget a verse, you have to take a drink, which leads to more verse forgetting, which leads to more drinking. Understand, this is something that, that you need to remember. The Puritan objection to the celebration of Christmas had much more to do with the fact that the Christmas season had become a period of drunken revelry as opposed to a celebration of the birth of Christ. And that was the the primary Puritan objection to Christmas was the drunken revelry. They weren't, you know, it, it wasn't an objection to the celebration of the birth of Christ. Now, there was the fact that, hey, this is not a biblical feast. The, the, um, the uh, Bible doesn't mention this, and, and the church is not commanded to observe this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We, we know that. But, it, it, you know, that, that wasn't the issue. The main issue was, this was a time of drunken revelry, and a song like this would fit right into that. Where, you know, oh, you forgot a verse, you got to take a drink. And you can, you can picture it in your head, right? A, a drunken singing of this song. It was also a great way to, to steal kisses if you were, you know, singing it with a, uh, you know, young lady, a, a young man singing it with a young lady. It would be a, a way to, oh, you forgot a verse, you have to kiss me. So, and that would go both ways probably. <laughs> um so that's, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing of a memory and forfeits game. Um, and there, there are similar things today, um, but that's, that's generally agreed that that's what this song was, a memory and forfeits game song. Now, what the song was not, and, and this is something that, that I've seen all over the Internet, um, the song was not a Christian mnemonic. It was not a Christian memory age, memory aid. Um, the 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 idea is that is put forth is that each of the gifts represents something in Christian doctrine or Christian truth. As the partridge in a pear tree represents Christ. Two turtle doves represent the Old and New Testaments. Three French hens represent faith, hope, and charity, the three theological virtues. Four calling birds represent the four gospels, or the four evangelists. Remember, they're originally collie birds, not calling birds. Five golden rings represent the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the, the books of Moses. Six geese laying represent the six days of creation. Seven swans a swimming represent the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, or the seven sacraments. Eight maids of milking represent the eight beatitudes. Nine ladies dancing represent the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ten lords a leaping represent the Ten Commandments. Eleven pipers piping represent the eleven faithful apostles. And twelve drummers drumming represent the twelve points of doctrine in the Apostles' Creed. Think about it. 
there is nothing other than the number that would serve to remind someone of any of these things. So it's it's useless as a memory aid. Um, uh, probably the, the, the memory aid that I use the most has to do with the order of the planets. Um, it's one that I learned, gosh, junior high maybe. But it's mother very thoughtfully made a jelly sandwich under no protest. The first letter of each word represents the planet. Mother, Mercury. So, uh, mother very thoughtfully made. Yeah, mother, Mercury, uh, very Venus, thoughtfully Terra, Earth. Uh, Mother very thoughtfully made M, Mars, A, asteroid belt. Mother very thoughtfully made A, jelly, Jupiter, sandwich, Saturn, under, Uranus, no, Neptune, protest, Pluto. That was one that I learned long, long ago. But you can see how that serves as a memory aid. Because each letter represents something. So you simply remember the sentence, Mother very thoughtfully made a jelly sandwich under no protest, and you know that the first letter of each word stands for a planet. And if you know the planets, it's easy to figure out. But it helps you memorize the order of the solar system. And I love the fact that it includes the asteroid belt, which many planetary or solar system mnemonics don't. But there's, there's something there that reminds you of what you're supposed to remember. That's the purpose of a mnemonic. There is nothing in the 12 days of Christmas that remind us of these things that they purportedly represent. It's silly. Um, there's, 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 like I said, there's nothing under the num- other than the number that would help. It reminds me of that silly, the gospel and the Zodiac thing that went around a few years back where people, you know, tried to explain the, the or try to say that the signs of the Zodiac were supposedly representing truths of the gospel. Um, I remember, I loved D. James Kennedy and, and I learned a lot from D. James Kennedy and he was an excellent preacher and I used to listen to his radio broadcast. What was, what was it called? He had a daily radio broadcast. It was on his radio broadcast that I first heard Ken Ham. Oh, what did he call that? I don't remember. You know, me and names. I'm horrible with names. Um, I need a mnemonic. Um, but he had a daily radio half hour and, and he would play, it would either be he would talk about something or he would play a portion of one of his own sermons or he would play messages like Ken Ham. Yeah. Um, but he had some quirky ideas. One of which was he, he was the first person I heard the, the Zodiac is the gospel thing from, and it's just not, it doesn't work. (laughs) Okay. It's, it's not, the Zodiac is not the gospel. 
Well, the 12 Days of Christmas song is not to remind Christians of certain truths that are the meaning of the verses. It's, like I said, it's an old drinking song for a time. Well, and I say a time like it's long past when Christmas was a time of drunken revelry. I say that on New Year's Eve or on New Year's Day when there are probably a lot of people who are not feeling good this morning because they overdid it on New Year's Eve. I was in bed by 9.30. It was New Year's somewhere. <laughs> um, I mean, by church yesterday morning, New Year's had already been celebrated on the other side of the dateline. Remember, there are people out there who are already living in tomorrow. There are also people out there who are still living in yesterday, so be advised. So don't don't buy into that idea. It, it's not it's not uh, historically accurate, to say the least. Now, switching back to the topic of the song, without you know putting that aside, <laughs> for the past forty years, financial services company PNC has calculated the cost of the gifts in the 12 days of Christmas. I remember hearing this from uh, uh, Johnny Carson was the first person I saw who read. He went through all 12 and, and talked about how much each was valued. Um, I didn't, I'm not going to go through all 12 of them and tell you how much it would cost to give each one, but Financial services company PNC has calculated the cost of the gifts mentioned in the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, for 40 years. This year, it would cost you $46,729.86 to give all 12 gifts mentioned in the song. True love is expensive. All right. Well, that's our Monday meandering today because I don't want to dip deep into anything. Like I said, we'll save the heavier stuff for next week. Um, but I did want to start off the year meeting with you. So let us now uh, recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. And if you're really industrious, you can try to identify the 12 doctrines that... <laughs> People say the 12, I don't know, what's the, what's the 12? See, I haven't memorized the song. Now i got to take a drink. Um, yeah, the 12, uh, what is it, three French hands, uh, eight maids milking, 12 drummers drumming. So I'll take a sip of my coffee as a forfeit for forgetting what the 12th day was. We remember the first five, right? Everybody remembers the first five. Five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. We all remember that. But when you start getting to six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you start forgetting because you don't repeat them every time, right? So see, as we read through the... Uh, Apostles' Creed, if you can identify the 12 doctrines that uh, 
the song is erroneously supposed to remind you of. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the first Sunday of Christmas, which was yesterday. Remember the previous Sunday was the last Sunday in Advent, so this yesterday was the first Sunday of Christmas. There's only two Sundays in Christmas, just so you know. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, kindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now the colic for the renewal of life. O God, the King Eternal, whose light divides the day from the night and turns the shadow of death into the morning, drive far from us all wrong desires, incline our hearts to keep your law, and guide our feet into the way of peace, that having done your will with cheerfulness during the day, we may, when night comes, rejoice to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed to yourself, you have revealed yourself as God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this January 1st, 2024. Happy, happy New Year. Now, for the rest of today and for this entire new year, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not to. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.